Welcome to Elzegory listeners to the big episode 54. And it's going to be a fireside chat session today where we talk about visions and experiencing God through visions. I had an interesting question surface for my last episode 53 when I was talking about Exodus 5 and we were talking about Egyptian spirits and I gave a testimony about experiencing a vision during a spiritual warfare situation or session. And somebody left a question about that on YouTube, but I'd like to follow up and answer the question because they asked some pretty good questions regarding this, what this was and what are visions. And we're all about Jesus and tales of glory. We're not all about spiritual warfare. I want you guys to experience feeling Jesus in his presence and how he communicates with us. So I wanted to pause before I went to Exodus 6 and discuss this in a fireside chat, what visions are, because they're going to surface again in the Bible. They're throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so what are visions? What are visions? Glad you asked. So let's take a look here. So again, I said, I received a question on vision. It came from a YouTube question from Tales of Glory, episode 53 on Exodus 5. And here's the question. Happy New Year, Michael. Thanks for another amazing episode here. A quick clarifying question for you. When you were talking about the time you were called in to help a young woman with the Egyptian spirit, you mentioned that you saw it in the spirit, an Egyptian deity. So what's he asking about here? So a quick recap. Let me try to recall this off the top of my head. We were talking about Egyptian spirits, and I gave a testimony. I was working with a ritual abuse survivor some years back, and the first time I met this individual, I was called to the house because the people who were helping her thought she was manifesting demons, and she wasn't. What was happening was one of her ritual parts were triggered, and it started manifesting a ritual demon. And when I came on scene, I'm used to going to hauntings, I'm used to go to this different stuff for deliverance and exorcisms. So God immediately triggered me. Uh, not that's the right word. I don't think triggered, but that's more of an emotional response. God activated me through His grace. I don't ask for it. He does it. The Holy Spirit gave me a vision when I walked into this young girl's room. She was curled in a ball like in a fetal position, just laying on the ground. And over from the side for her, I saw in the Spirit this Egyptian deity, which was an evil spirit. And what happened was, I talked about last time, we are dealing with spirits that were outside our realm. This was outside my dominion. because It was a high-level spirit. And... Jesus put it in his place, and I later found out through years of working with this young woman, um, helping her integrate identities from her ritual abuse, that she told me that, you know, Mike, you know, I wasn't a Christian when you came to my house, but when I saw what you did with that spirit, she was, I became a Christian. So she sensed the spirit too. She knew it because she ritually summoned it, summoned it. And she was amazed that I saw it in the spirit because it's an invisible world. It's in the unseen. To the grace of the Holy Spirit, God let me see it. So she said, when she saw me take authority over it, which I didn't, Jesus did, because it was a higher spirit, um, that's the moment she became a Christian, because she never saw such authority exercised before, only by her um, evil perpetrators. They didn't have that power to wield that, put that spirit in that place. And when I said that, I saw that, that, that spirit in the spirit, right? Um, it was in the spirit realm I saw it into, through the grace of God. And so this question surfaced on YouTube about, what were you talking about, Mike? What the heck? You know, was that a curveball? So this is a good question. So let's follow up with the question now. When you used the word saw, did you mean you saw this visibly with your eyes? Or you mean that this was something you discerned, the Holy Spirit was telling you that moment you were there? 
I assume the latter since I'm not sure how else you'd understand a Pacific regional aspect of it in that moment. Cheers, Joel from YouTube. I had a quick response, follow up with this. Um, I probably opened a more can of worms by responding in this manner. St. Teresa of Avila calls this an imaginary vision. Six mansions, chapter three, question mark. No, it, it is correct. I, I just didn't know when I was typing my response. Where God uses the hardware in the mind, this is not a third eye. This is God's hardware he equipped us with. He gave us, and on occasion, graces. Graces means they're sent by Jesus. He allows us to see it. We don't ask for it. So on occasion, graces us to see something spiritual through the lens of the faculties in our soul. Again, this is not the third eye. This is the Holy Spirit equipment. The third eye is something demonic. And we don't use it. Psychics use it. We'll probably discuss more about that too, what psychics are. I probably already have in the past, so we'll move along. So this isn't discernment because you're actually seeing it, but through the eyes of the soul, if that makes sense. Sometimes this is called seeing into the spirit. The information that I saw was confirmed by the woman. She said many years later, she goes, I saw you, what you do with that spirit. So she was seeing the spirit too. It often doesn't happen. It's how the Holy Spirit was to handle situations and how you roll with that. The Happy New Year to you as well. So I responded back to him. So I'm going to unpack this because there was a lot here. Some stuff I took for granted and I responded to him. And I just don't want to leave it hanging. I want to fully answer this. I thought this was going to be an easy question to answer. It was going to be a fireside chat, but I didn't realize this one probably has a huge amount of information. I hope I don't overload you, but I try to put it together in a progressive manner that you guys will pick up what's going on here about what visions are and are they biblical? Yes, in fact, they are. So Joel responded back real quick. Happy New Year to you as well, Michael Norton. Thanks for the clarifying the distinction between discernment and this type of imaginary vision as St. Teresa called it. In the Bible, we seem to have far more descriptions of full visions through dreams of being taught, caught up in the Holy Spirit. Do you recall any biblical account where it describes or alludes to this particular way of the Holy Spirit gracing us with these imaginary sight? Yes, I'm going to cite these. By the way, I did pick up a copy of St. Teresa of Avila's Interior Castle book and great looking forward to reading it as I can need to listen through all the Mansion podcasts. Cool. That means I got to get ahead of you and finish them, right? <laughs> and actually, I'm coming up to Six Mansions Chapter 3. Just a lot of material always got ahead of me. Now, you know, I, I talk about St. Teresa because she put a lot of this prayer stuff together and, and organized it and compiled it. Not because, hey, you know, this is a new age thing. Let's follow St. Teresa Avila. No, I follow Jesus. But she was a lover of Jesus, and she had these cool prayer experiences, and she knew how to organize them and describe them. So I like using her through different stages of prayer. So that's what we're going to discuss today. Um, we're going to attack the visions from several different angles, just so the light bulb goes on and what's going on here. It's not just specifically spiritual warfare. It's used for kingdom building. It's used for evangelism and all sorts of other things, too. But um, I want to give the basic foundations of what visions are here and how they're biblical. So, biblical accounts of visions. Visions are one of the ways we hear from God. God primarily communicates to us intimately through, number one, prayer. Prayer is an intimate one-to-one -one conversation with Jesus. It's bi-directional, and we receive and we hear from God. Remember, prayer is bi-directional. It's not taught in church that way. It's like we just pray and ask God, God, help me get out of this situation. Get me out of this. Get me out of that. Or not taught to sit down and have a conversation with God. Like, God, that was a cool day today. And when that tree fell and it almost destroyed my car, thank you, God, for protecting my car. You know, it's kind of like sort of things, conversations. Mental conversations where you talk out loud depending where you're at. Dreams. 
Another way God communicates with us, they're metaphorical, parabolic communications as we sleep. They're night parables. You read parables in Jesus, you know, talking in the Gospels and, and, and parabolic um, stories. That's what dreams are. They're parabolic. They're parables. Visions. Visions are metaphorical. They're prophetic experience. They're an awareness or perception. They're a spiritual perception. They're perceiving. A vision is a way of perceiving what the Holy Spirit is trying to convey to us. And we're going to talk, we're going to unpack this, right? So let's look at biblical accounts of visions. Let's start with the book of Joel, the big one, where the Holy Spirit is poured out in all flesh. And we're looking at Joel 2, verses 28 through 29. The Lord will pull out his spirit. Verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. That was a prophetic revelation of the coming of the Messiah, the Messianic, and the Holy Spirit. Now let's jump over to Acts with Peter. We've, we've seen this one before, right? Peter says almost the same thing from Joel 2. From Acts 2, 16 through 21. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, says Peter. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I shall show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pretty cool prophetic stuff there. So let's look at characteristics of visions. What are visions? I'm going to divert to some of the best contemporary material we have on visions right now to John Paul, the late John Paul Jackson. Understanding Dreams and Visions 201. It's a course. It's by Streams Ministries. I took that about 10 or 15 years ago. Awesome course. I hope it's still the same today. But it's one of those ones you need to take if you want to go out and understand dreams and visions and learn to hear God. Back then, they were terrific courses. I don't know what they're like now, but back then, they were, they were the, the courses. They weren't just something slapped together. It wasn't a school of ministry and all this blah, 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 and all this stuff. It was, it was geared towards the average person wanting to learn this stuff. And I took it. My wife took it. My sons took it. Excellent stuff. So, John Paul Jackson breaks down visions into four distinct characteristics. The first one, he says, is authenticated by divine glory. When you have a vision, it's authenticated by divine glory. And he gives us reference to Ezekiel 8, verses 1 through 4, the abominations in the temple. Verse 1, In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house, with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord fell upon me there. Then I took and behold a form and appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist and was fire. Above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where it was a seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. 
Verse 4, And behold, the glory of God of Israel is there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. Ezekiel has a lot of visions. The very opening one he has with those um, funky angels or wheels of God that are spinning of the throne room. That's, that's a sign of God's throne and who he is as a deity. And that was an open vision for him too in the very opening of Ezekiel. Go look at those. Another characteristic John Paul Jackson identified for visions, personal and phenomenal. And his reference is Daniel 10, verses 7 through 9. Verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep, my face to the ground. Another characteristic John Paul Jackson lays out is prophetic. Visions are prophetic. So Daniel 9, verse 23 through 27. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And it refers to the 70 weeks. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from going out of the word to restore the build Jerusalem to the coming of anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again and with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary. It shall become with a flood and to the end there shall be a war. Desolations are decreed. He shall make a strong covenant with the many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who make desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Okay, another attribute that John Paul Jackson points out is it causes trembling and dread. And he points out Daniel 10, verses 7 through 17. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face deep with sleep to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And we had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you first set heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to me for help. I was left there with the kings of Persia. And he came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face to the ground and was mute. And behold, one of the likeless of the children of man touched my lips. 
Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him, Who stood before me? O Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath left in me. Okay, those are some of the um, visions and stuff that came out of the Old Testament, and we read the New Testament. Let's look at some of the visions that are in the New Testament. Specifically, let's look at Peter's vision in the book of Acts. Peter received theology instruction from Jesus through a vision. Remember this one? I believe this one's Acts 10. I didn't note, note it down. It's Acts 10, 9 through 17, perhaps. I'll look it up. I'll put it in the show notes. Anyhow, this one's Peter's vision in the book of Acts. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the earth. And there came a voice, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again the second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. We have another scene in Acts, too. Remember, um, Jesus reaches out to Ananias and tells him to go look for Saul. Remember, Saul was persecuting and killing Christians, but he tells Ananias in a vision to go help him. And this is in the book of Acts. We'll start with verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and to the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you and on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's some cool stuff there. So we do have visions in the Bible, they are biblical and how they work. And I want to take some time now to break down. We're not talking about dreams at the moment. Right now, we're just going to focus on visions and what they are and how we experience them. And so I have some, what I pulled was the introductory notes from the Interior Castle's editor in the Six Expansions, Chapter 3. And this individual broke down visions into three specific categories. And these are the categories I use. And that's kind of what this person, when they posted the question, what they were asking about. So the three types of visions we experience are corporal visions, imaginary visions, and intellectual visions. And I want to use their definitions. They're somewhat heavily weighted in Catholicism. In some books we don't use, like Apocrypha and stuff. But we'll walk through this because, again, this is how St. Teresa of Avila broke down visions. She did some really cool stuff here. And it's very accurate. So I'd like to re defer to her expertise as a lover of Jesus and what's going on in interior prayer life and what visions are. So let's dive into this and the mystical theology of visions. 
cool stuff. Again, why is it mystical? Because it comes from God. It comes from the grace of God. We don't instigate it. We don't use it. Remember, a psychic instigates stuff. They're using something demonic. We're, and they're using the, um, the third eye and their forehead, which is demonic, and it's brought there by the occult. We're using the hardware that Jesus gave us in our minds for prayer, the eye of the soul, to use visions to communicate with him. And visions are one of the ways it communicates. So let's look how St. Teresa broke this down. I'll give a few explanations along the way. A corporal vision is one when one sees a bodily object. Corporal locution, remember locution means to speak. So we're not talking about hearing stuff right now, like hearing God, hearing spirits. That's a locution. We're talking about a vision. We're seeing something prophetically. Is when one hears a word uttered by a human tongue. That's a locution. In both cases, the respective senses are exercising their normal function, and the phenomenon differs from ordinary seeing or hearing merely in the, by the fact that the latter object has been seen by the real body. That's a corporal vision or corporal hearing. The words perceived come from a real tongue, whereas in the vision or locution, the object is either only apparent or at any rate is not such as it's to be seen to be. So it's physically being seen in a corporal vision. It's you know, like... We'll get to that. I have some examples, but I think he gets this too, and I want to jump ahead. Okay, now we're dump, jumping to some Apocrypha books. Um, Tobias, I think we're either in the Book of Tobit, which is Apocrypha, the, the Roman Catholic um, Apocrypha. So thus, when Tobias set out on a journey, his companion Azarias was not a real human being, but an archangel in human form. Okay, where do we see this again? Remember Abraham? The angels came to visit him. He was having corporal visions. These were full-on, solid human manifestations of angels and the angel of the Lord talking to Abraham back in Genesis. Same thing here. So let's continue on. Tobias did really see and hear him, and he felt the grip of his hand. Sarah and her parents, as well as Tobias' parents, saw and heard him too. But all the time, the archangel made himself visible and audible by means of an assumed body or perhaps an apparent body. We've also seen in the Old Testament where the angels sat and had, you know, had food, you know, broke bread, had food with Abraham and with Gideon and all these guys, right? We see them do it. These are corporal visions. It's just a fancy way of saying these are full physical manifestations we see with our physical eyes, corporal vision. It would be more correct to describe such a phenomenon as an apparition than a vision. And in fact, the apparitions of risen Lord to the holy women and the apostles belong to this category. For though this is a real body, it was glorified and they are no longer subject to the same laws which govern purely human things. Okay, that's a distinction here. I was kind of going to say, well, it's not apparition. I wouldn't use that word either. But we to find out the bottom was, like when Jesus appeared to the, the women and to the other people post-resurrection, his body was real, but something supernatural was going on there. It was glorified, and their body was no longer the subject to the same laws which govern purely human things. That's us. That's the distinction right there of what a corporal vision is. Something supernatural is going on. An imaginary vision or locution. And this is what we're going to talk about here. This is what the individual um, was asking me about. What's an imaginary vision is a biblical. And this is where St. Teresa of Avila irons it out. So an imaginary vision is one where nothing is seen or heard by the senses of seeing or hearing, 
but where the same impression is received that would be produced upon the imagination by the senses if some real object were perceived by them. For according to the scholastics, the imagination stands halfway between the senses and the intellect, receiving impressions from the former and transmitting to the latter. This is how we see things in the spirit realm. Christians, we're not using a third eye. It is the imagination stands halfway between the senses and the intellect, right? Receiving impressions from the former and transmitting to the latter. This is an imaginary vision or a vision coming into the mind. She uses the word imaginary. I think we trip over that. Well, it's not real if it's imaginary, like imaginary friend. No, because this is real, but we're perceiving it. Is the reason why imaginary visions and locutions are so dangerous, according to St. Teresa and St. John the Cross and other spiritual writers, they should not only never be sought for, but as much as possible shunned in all circumstances discontinenced. But the imagination is closely connected with the memory, so that it is frequently impossible to ascertain whether a vision, etc., is not perhaps or semi-conscious or unconscious reproduction of scenes witnessed. Okay? There's, there's, what she's saying here is there's no way of really telling if the soul is fabricating it or if something really happens supernatural. In my case with the young woman, she collaborated that she saw the same thing in the spirit realm when we talked about it and the information matched. So it wasn't something that was put together by my soul to go, da-da, there's a spirit there. We have to be careful of that. A lot of people do that too many times. You see, you see people in um, deliverance ministries. I'm making fun of the deliverance circus now because it's gotten really, really bad. It needs to derail pretty soon. Um, I'm not against real deliverance. I'm against the deliverance circus out there now. I always talk about, you got a snake around your waist. You know, <laughs> it sounds like Toy Story. I got a snake in my boot. You got a snake around your waist. That is the most common BS soul fed thing in deliverance ministry right now. That the fake it till you make it. So always tell some person to scare them into. And it triggers emotional responses for them to be delivered. And in most cases, you know, it's it's not something really demonic. It's just something a fake it to make it deliverance minister, which is I'm going up to seventy five percent now. I've seen a lot of bad stuff. It's getting bad. Um, that and prophetic stuff's getting bad too. It wasn't like when we first started doing this stuff like fifteen years ago. It didn't look like this. It's getting bad. Anyhow, so that would be something that's not controllable. So if the person came to you and said, "I see a snake around your waist," you have no way of coming against them and saying, hey, no, that's not true. Like, yeah, it is true. You know, there's no co-collaboration and it's dangerous. And if the other person is not sensing that there's something demonic, you know, it could be a person with dissociation. I do this all the time. The person comes to you, you have a snake around your waist and they start freaking out because they're ritual abuse survivors. I got another demon on me now. It takes weeks of counseling to pull off what a bad deliverance minister and a bad imaginary vision session experience looks like, right? It just, that's why St. Teresa says these are, these are bad. They're bad. Unless they're persons mature and walking in them, you know the difference between your soul, like I did, because I've been walking in it a while. And I had a lot of discipleship from other people who were good. A lot of experiences. You're going to be good experiences, bad experiences to shape you. That you know. But this thing heavily requires spiritual direction to walk in. Heavily requires it. And that's what she's talking about. Her and St. John of the Cross here. It is here also that deception, willful or unwillful, self-deception, or deception by a higher agency is to be feared. Hence, the general rule that such visions or locutions should only be trusted upon the strongest grounds, according to St. Thomas Aquinas. Okay, I'm not familiar with the book they're talking about here. But, yeah, if we're dealing with imaginary visions, we need 
spiritual direction on how to handle it and what to do with it. And it's, it's just, you know, we see a lot of people in church now. I saw an angel, you know, do you see the angel over there? Or some other person may say, I, I think I sense an angel, you know, the person like, oh, this is your first one. You know, it's just, it's gotten, it's gotten bad. It's a circus. You know, we need to operate humility. That's why I like John Paul Jackson's courses. The first thing he's going to do is smack you around humility, operate in humility. As an example of imaginary visions, we are mentioned St. Stephen who saw the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right-hand side of God, or St. Peter who saw the heaven opened and a certain vessel descending as if it were a great linen sheet, let down by four corners from heaven to the earth, and there from a voice of heaven, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. So I got some noise in the background. We're having that atmospheric, was it rivers going on right now in California? It's just raining on us heavily. Can you hear it? It's just loud. So those are some examples of imaginary visions, and yes, they're biblical. And we have to be very careful of them, and they require discipleship and training to understand what they are and when they are, because the soul will make stuff up. After a while, you get the hang of it, that's from the soul, that came from the wrong department. I'm going to punt this and not listen to it. And just the ones that come from God is the grace of God are, are unshakable. Like I said, it's back to the trembling. Remember one of the attributes of the vision? It, you just remember it so long, and it's just like, it's, it's powerful. Intellectual vision or locution is one where nothing is seen or heard by the eyes and ears and where no sensation is received by the imagination. But the impression, which would be delivered by the imagination to the intellect, had it come through the senses and had been handed on to the imagination, is directly imprinted upon the intellect. To understand this is necessary to bear in mind that the impressions we receive through senses must undergo a transformation, must be spiritualized before they reach the intellect. This is one of the most difficult problems in psychology. None of the solutions offered by various schools of philosophy seem to render it entirely free from obscurity. What are they talking about? Um, if you guys are following the podcast quite a bit, off and on I've shared my experiences back in elementary school where I went to the cathedral. I was, you know, I was raised Catholic, so I went to this Catholic cathedral on a catechism, Sunday school, adventure, or whatever. And I had an intellectual vision experience with Jesus at that church. And what it is, we're talking about here, the senses feel it, right? It's where you walk in, you experience, you feel Jesus present. You feel him there. He's absolutely 100% there. You just don't see him. And it's a grace from God, and you feel it through your senses. It's unshakable. And that was the moment I talked about in my life where God was very real. He gave me that intellectual vision where you don't see him, but I felt his presence, and it was very powerful. And it stuck with me to this day, and it's what shook me to the core. Since I was raised through the silver spoon in Catholicism when I was a kid, I never had one of those moments where you know I discovered Jesus. I was always raised that Jesus was there, and he was real. And this was not triggered by anything, because I, I had no understanding what mystical theology was or how I could experience it. So God hit me early on with this experience when I was about 11. And it shook me to the core that God was real. And that was my experience that, you know, wow, Jesus is real. This is incredible. This is, he's more than just that little statue on the, you know, on the altar there. He is somebody that's real. And it, it shook me. And that was an intellectual vision. I didn't see him, but off and on, I felt him when I had to deal with hauntings and other things, stuff too. Rather than feeling demonic presence, God protected me with an intellectual um, vision of his presence. And it's powerful. Or the Holy Spirit will do it too. So that is an intellectual vision. It is felt by the senses. It, goes, it permeates your body and it's unshakable. It's like an energy, like, whoa. 
You know, it's not psychosomatic. You can't replicate it. It just God has to do it. Just something only experience he can give to us, if that makes sense. So let's continue on. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, the impression received by the eye species sensibilis is spiritualized by a faculty called electuous agents by means of abstraction and is treasured up in the memory like lantern slides available at demand. Lantern slides, that's cool. Um, this is some old school stuff. So to rip apart St. Aquinas, the St. Thomas Aquinas talk, it it goes up to your intellect, like I talk about, my experience with um, feeling the presence of Jesus in that, that old um, cathedral in Washington, D.C. And it's treasured up by the memory, right? Memory just maintains, like, this was crazy. And like lantern slides, like, this is old school, right? They only have, they only have uh, computers back then or, you know, whatever lantern slides. You only know, have photos, that stuff they used to look in, like, the lights and, like, you know, the old school 1800s. Look like Viewmasters, those toys. <laughs> look at those lantern slides. It's available at demand, so I could pull it back on demand, but usually it's an experience. When I experience it again, it pulls it back on demand. This is Jesus' you know, presence entering the room. So it's felt in the senses, right? It's not seen. It could be both. You could experience both. It could be, you know, who knows? So cool stuff there. That is intellectual vision. So these are the three types of visions we, we can experience. So the mind itself, with the species impressed, I'm continuing on with St. Thomas Aquinas, produces the word of the mind, verba mentis, right? There's some Latin going on here. Where it consists the acts of understanding or mental conception in the, in the intellectual vision or locution, God, without cooperation on the part of the senses, the imagination or the memory, produces directly on the mind the species impressa. So he's, he's directly onto the mind. He's, he's given this impression that he is present and you can feel him. Presence of God is with you. This is stuff you can feel too. It's um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pull, put that conversation off to a second here if you're not experiencing this stuff and what's going on. Some more, as is a supernatural with regard to its origin and often also with respect to its object, it stands to reason that it is too exalted from memory to receive, so that the visions and locutions are frequently awfully imperfectly remembered and sometimes altogether, as St. Teresa tells us. Yeah, that's an intellectual vision wrapping it up there. It's supernatural in origin. It's from God. It's a grace. We don't ask for it. God, let me feel that. In he doesn't do that. It's, it's like a little gift. It's like he walks by and taps you on your shoulder. I'm here. That would be an intellectual vision. So it is too exalted for the memory to receive it. Hmm, that's why we don't get a picture. Maybe it's too far up. That's, that's their explanation, right? I think it's just far more simpler than that. Like, it's just like a tap on the shoulder. Like Jesus goes, hey, I'm here. Like I'm... I'm in my SWAT mode, you know, special, or uh, you know, Navy SEALs mode, getting ready to enter a haunted house, demonic activity. You know, you're suiting up, getting ready to go in. God taps me on the shoulder, and I feel his presence. Like, okay, you're with me. Let's do this, right? That's, that's all it is. It's very simple. I want to simplify it. I think St. Thomas Aquinas overly, you know, pontificated this stuff. Oh, we're still going on it. On the other hand, they are far less dangerous than the corporal or imaginary visions, locutions, because the senses and imagination have nothing to do with them. Whilst evil spirits are unable to act directly upon the mind and self-deception is altogether excluded for this reason stated by St. Teresa. An instance of such a vision is mentioned by St. Paul. I know a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I know or whether out I know not, God knows such an even rapture even to the third heaven. See, I don't think that one that Paul had was intellectual vision. I think they're wrong here. I think that he experienced something called a rapture 
where God literally lifts you up to the third heaven. And that's something that's going to be found in St. Teresa of Avila's um, interior castles, wells. We're getting to it. I need to revitalize and bring that up. It's getting more and more important now as prophetic and all this stuff's running rampant and can you be a circus? I mean, a lot of these things are circuses now. It's sad because it's it's how God communicates with us and the enemy's hijacking it, turning it into these huge circuses. You know, it's this, you know, the enemy's running rapid on, was it a, you know, on YouTube and, and with reels, you know, and all that stuff. Um, it's just running rapid. So let's learn to do it straight. Let's still learn to do it old school and just see how easy it is to do this stuff. It's, it's God talking to us. It's how we can interact and communicate. This is part of having a relationship. I can receive from God in a second, even though, you know, he sends me a message. Oh, that's from God. That dropped in. That's not for me. We need to learn how to do this. And again, so discipleship and spiritual direction. I had a thought here at camp before I, I recorded these slides, and it came just about a moment ago. Like I said, I want to discuss this a little bit later. What happens if you're not receiving visions? What happens if you're not hearing from God? You know, it's, it's not that God doesn't love you. God loves you, absolutely. It's just, you know, things are different with different people. St. Teresa mentioned she had some nuns who never received stuff, and they were the most pious, righteous women who were able to pray the wallpaper off walls, you know? And it's just, we're all in different areas of our spiritual development. I know God, from the get-go in the womb, had me set up for advanced spiritual warfare, and to deal with very dark spiritual stuff. So off and on, I had crazy experiences that let me know he was real because I needed them. This stuff I dealt with some in the past would have petrified or terrified. It has. Some of the people that were with me in some of these street ministries were terrified and never showed, came back after I saw some of the stuff I witnessed I dealt with. They never came back. And these are Christians. These were pastors. These were pastors' wives. You know, People raised them this stuff, and it scared the snot out of them. Okay? So God raised me. From the get-go, I, I understand how David fought Goliath. You know, God raised him from the get-go to, when it got to that point, God, you know, David's like, all right, God, let's do this. I know you're with me. Look at the size of that dude, but you're with me. Let's do this. Um, what do you want me? Where do you want me to stand? Um, I'm in this with you. That's what it has to be. So if you're not receiving this stuff, don't get flustered. And a lot of Christians, they'll, they'll say, you know, forget this stuff. I'm not hearing from God like my, the person in the pew next to me is. A lot of times they're not either. That's the problem we're having in church right now. We have no good discipleship. We have no good spiritual direction. So the person sitting next to you is not receiving something either. Price even soulish stuff. I can't tell you how many times as a Christian counselor, I worked with people came to my door and said, oh, I have an office in prophetic ministry and they need some inner healing. So I had them try to connect with God and they couldn't connect with God. Dude, you have an office prophetic ministry. You're telling me you can't connect with God at all? No. Then how on earth do you have an office prophetic ministry? This happens more times you want to know. That person that's having an incredible religious experience in your church, you know, they're probably not. They're probably telling their counselor, you know, like, I'm tired of lying about this and quit doing it. You know? What I'm trying to say is when I had all my experiences, they're very subtle. It was like, oh God, oh God, oh God, you're here. Jesus, you're here. You're in the room with me. Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. You know, it's, it was just like, I had that experience, in the, the, my first experience. It was very subtle. It was like, there's somebody in this room with me. Oh my God, it's intensifying. I thought I was an angel at first. Jesus left me for about 30 years to unpack that, that that was him. It was Jesus in the room with me. 
It took a while. It was just a walk, right? I said, I spent 30 years in the front row pews of the frozen chosen. Get out of those pews. If you're not experiencing, you're like, you're not connecting with God. I'm not connected with this. I suggest you go get those classes. Go look at the Mike Verkler videos in the Mike Verkler book, um, Four Keys to Hearing God. Go get into a class with streams. You got to get off your duff. You got to get out. You got to get discipled in this stuff. Some are good. Some are bad. Some churches, I just like, oh, God, I roll my eyes on what they're doing. And these are big churches. Like, oh, my God, this is bad. This is terrible. It's subtle. That's what St. Teresa is all about. Your experiences with God are by him. We don't ask for them. He just interacts with us. You're probably already having experiences. You just don't know what they look like or feel like. All right? So don't get discouraged. I recommend, like, just if you can find a class, make it with people in the class because you have to interact and you're forced to step out of your safety zone. I came from a church that was Assembly of God that had a Holy Spirit identity crisis. You dare not mention his name except what was mentioned in the Bible, that he was real and that he can empower you with these gifts and stuff. You dare not mention that because it was a golf club church. I had no clue. And when I was stuck out in night strike trying to deal with my spiritual warfare seeing stuff, I was told right away by a bunch of people with full experience, hey, Mike's got a word from you. He likes prophetic word. I don't know what prophetic is. I never operated in it. But I stuck with it. You know, it's, it's frustrating. And it just, you're going to have to go through the trials this to work. God's going to put you through trials. He's going to help you. Give it time. My suggestion is find the right people to work with to do this. And there's there's some people, some churches, a lot of times there's it's a small grassroots thing. My church didn't want the prophetic in it. And I remember I got in trouble because I had Saturday night churches at my house. And I wasn't trying to start my own church. It was extracurricular activity because I was bringing people to my house. I wanted to hear teach me about prophetic and it wasn't being brought into church, and so I opened it up to a lot of churches. And I remember my pastor got mad. What are you doing opening a church at your house? I go, first of all, I go to your church. You're my pastor, and it's at my house, and I'm not trying to build a church to compete with you. I was bringing people in to edify me, help me understand what wasn't happening at church, because this church won't talk about the Holy Spirit. And when they did, the Holy Spirit was very controlled by a narcissist at the pulpit. End of story. And that's as far as I'll go with that. So, if you want to get in this, get discipled. You know, find the right person. If the person is very flamboyant, very showman-like, don't talk with them. It's usually a person that's very quiet, you know, and it, they're operating in it. And go find that person. Have the Holy Spirit lead to somebody. Don't worry about their character, because I had people taught me deliverance and other things who are just... I still have people, my mentors, and one guy just... His lifestyle shot so far down the tubes, he can't even be a pastor here anymore, you know? So it's just let God glean from them what God wants you to glean from them to build you up and go with it. And I said, it's going to be a painful journey, like I've talked about, and it's going to be a great journey. And all in all, it was worth it. But those painful journeys were part of the trials God was doing to shape me to operate in this. So if that makes sense, I hope it does. Um, like I said, it's... That's my answer there. So discipleship and spiritual direction. So let me add up here. In order to have a proper response to dreams and visions, one needs to be instructed about them and how God uses them for his objectives. And proper responses towards them include fear, rejection, dismissal, or misunderstanding their value. That's from the late John Paul Jackson and his class, Understanding Dreams and Visions 201. It's all about the character of the minister. All about it. 
So moving in the prophetic with visions, I strongly believe that moving in the prophetic requires discipleship, especially when we learn hearing from God and taking your first steps. Working with mature Christians who will nurture you as you grow and provide spiritual direction of what is from God and what is from your soul. Very important. And I want to throw in here too, you'll see people are just off the deep end with it. You know, it's, I want you to operate radically in the middle. You'll see supernatural stuff like, listen to me. It's like, gosh, Mike, all you talk about is the academics of it. And you share some experiences you had. Yeah, I've had a ton of supernatural experiences. But I'm dialing it in because I want the testimonies and the information to edify you to dig deeper in the Bible and to dig deeper in your relationship with Jesus. This stuff is real. And it's, it's not that super off-the-wall experience, so say it, the Lord person saying next to you. It's a very deep experience. It's life-changing because God's weeding out what's wrong with me individually, and I accept it through convictions of the Holy Spirit. It goes through trials. It makes me a better person. It makes me a better minister. And you're going to have to say yes to that. It's surrendering to Jesus and the Holy Spirit to shape you to be more like Him. He doesn't have a seeker-friendly church. This doesn't. And some stuff's going to offend people, but big deal. You're going to have to move forward with what Jesus is talking to you about, what the Holy Spirit's teaching you, and hold on to that. So, a little bit of soapbox there. So, closing thoughts. The Holy Spirit is the best teacher, but you will need to be discipled, and you'll need to be seek some sound spiritual direction. I don't think we would have that anymore. I don't even know if the Catholic Church even has that anymore. I wish we did. But there's stuff like I try to share with people, a spiritual direction, like I discern something. Like There's so much of a circus right now. You go to, um, I don't know, it's all over the YouTube, it's all over the internet. So there's stuff here. Um, Instagram. Instagram reels of these popular pastors all sharing stuff about what they know about demonology. They're never talking about Jesus anymore. They're talking about demonology and they're obsessing with it. That's demonic, okay? So if you're tuning in about the Leviathan spirit, you're tuning in about the Bathonic spirit, half these guys know what the hell they're talking about. Over half. If they're popular and they have a huge congregation, I, I guarantee them what the hell they're talking about. They don't. I'm sorry. This, this is my podcast. I'm, I'm an exorcist. I've seen teleportation. I've witnessed levitation. I've seen stuff you know, in the spirit realm. I, you know, I've dealt with witchcraft in the spirit realm. And I'm telling you, these guys don't know what the hell they're talking about. And they don't even know their scripture or where to find it in scripture or Hebrew. So it's just, it is what it is, guys. I'm sorry it has to be that way, but I don't want to scare people off. But like I said, be careful what you digest, and if it tastes terrible, spit it out and move along. It's your buffet. It's your relationship with Jesus. So use your discernment, 100%. I mean, a lot of these guys just trigger me around. It's bad. Um, you'll find a, stuff, a lot of stuff in Elijah list, too, needs to be weeded out. It's become a circus. I think social media, there's a spirit of social media now. That's what somebody's saying. I want to cast out the spirit of social media, but it's not the spirit of social media. It's the greed and envy and pride that a lot of these pastors have dove into social media. They want to be the number one, have the most likes. Their church has the most likes, have the most media, have the most biggest conferences with the most deliverance ministers and blah, blah, blah. You know, or the biggest, you know, like I said, even, even Elijah List is bad. Elijah List has what I call the CNN prophets. They watch TV and they start talking about, you know, this is going on now. You know, what, what the heck? Who was not account, held accountable for Trump? Remember the Trump prophecies? He'll be back in office. He's still president and all that stuff. And they slid by their wayside, you know? I, I, I don't trust Lady the Purple Hair. I don't trust some of these guys that, you know, Mr. Bedsheets. And I don't trust, you know, I don't trust them anymore. They lost 
their viability there. They're, you know, it just is what it is. So I'm, I'm going to end here. <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble. But like I said, be radically in the middle, be heavily discernful, and just develop your relationship with Jesus. It's not here to build a, a ministry. You're not building a ministry, you build a relationship. And as you build a relationship between you and Jesus, that's what's going to build out of that something else, some fruits. We don't know what it is. It's something you're wildly passionate about. I'm wildly passionate about the spiritual warfare stuff. I don't dwell on it. Like I said, I've done a lot of research and um, I do a lot of prophetical evangelism. You have to be balanced, right? Um, things have to balance out. I'm not a spiritual warfare minister. I'm, I'm a servant of God and he has me go where he needs me to go. It just so happens that, you know, he had me serve on the Navy SEALs and every time to time I'm called to active duty. That's what it is, right? Otherwise, I'm just a lover of Jesus. So that's it for a fireside chat, experiencing God through visions. I know you guys are probably expecting a, an exercise. Maybe we should do another one down the road. We'll talk a little bit more about visions and how to um, hear God. If that's something you want to do. Leave me questions and we'll, like I said, I'll answer questions. I'm glad that um, this one person did and I hope that answers his question. And I didn't realize this sucker was going to be this long. Wow. I have almost an hour down, less than an hour. So love you guys. God bless you from the M16 Bunker. Remember, you can find this on a fieldguidedspiritualwarfare.blogspot.com. You can find us on Spotify. Um, also, like I said, uh, the bunker right now, as we're producing more material, I'd, we also need some little financial blessings here if you can along the way. And you can bless us at paypal.com. M16ministries at paypal.com is the email address to send blessings to if you'd like to. Um, I got to start jump on taxes to a 51C3 and get um, donation letters out. That reminds me. Anyhow, I'm rambling enough. I hope this helped you on visions. And I felt you found it beneficial. And God bless you guys. I love you. And again, the M16 bunker, M16 signing off. God bless.